Ah, welcome to No Nonsense Catholic. I'm your host, Matthew Arnold, and the confusion stops here. As you are likely aware, last week on the 2nd of June, Washington, D.C. Archbishop Wilton Gregory released a statement, well, frankly, attacking the St. John Paul II National Shrine over a planned visit by the President of the United States. Now, Archbishop Gregory has since been taken to task for his remarks from various quarters because while he presumably intended to admonish the sinner, you know, for the for the crime of hosting the president, what he actually did was give a perfect example of the words that Jesus addressed to the religious hypocrites of his own day. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So today we're going to talk about the first of the spiritual works of mercy and discover just what admonish the sinner really means. Also, we're going to look at five ways to grow in holiness from a little-known blessed who was beatified by St. John Paul II. But first, uh, because of his remarks, Archbishop Gregory has been accused of virtue signaling. And, you know, that's a potentially risky business since presumably (laughs) one must be virtuous before one can virtue signal. And what does being virtuous entail? Well, the important thing for a no-nonsense Catholic to understand is that in the spiritual life, just avoiding sin is not enough. We are called to a life of holiness, all of us. According to Vatican II, and I quote, the Lord Jesus, the divine teacher and model of all perfection, preached holiness of life to each and every one of his disciples of every condition. Thus, it is evident that all of the faithful of Christ, of whatever rank or status, are called to the fullness of the Christian life and to the perfection of charity, unquote. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that for a Catholic, a life of virtue is not optional. According to Vatican II, the quest for Christian perfection is the foundation of the vocation of lay people. And this is not a new idea. Remember, it was our Lord himself who said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, back in the early 2000s, in order to be a better apologist, I pursued a certificate in Christian counseling. And in my study of psychology, I was taught that in the United States, we are a nation of addicts, that we are alcoholics and sexaholics, workaholics and shopaholics, we are foodaholics and and rageaholics, and we're into our second or third generation of uh, uh, couch potatoes who are hopelessly addicted to television and video games and the internet and whatnot. But I recall thinking back then, this this list seems awfully familiar. Let's see, that's pride, avarice, lust, anger, gluttony, envy, sloth. That's the seven deadly sins. And the plain and simple fact is these sins are epidemic today and as much amongst Catholics as the general population. And with all due respect to psychology, sin is a spiritual problem. And how do we overcome come the deadly sins? Well, psychology's answer apparently is to keep sinning, but just stop feeling guilty. Whereas the church's answer has always been practice the opposing virtues. Virtue is, it means to make a habit out of living in a way that pleases God. So the word virtue comes to us from the Latin virtus, which literally means manliness. And that's why Catholics of both sexes have always been encouraged to strive manfully against their production dominant passions, right? And this and this virile pursuit of spiritual perfection is the primary characteristic of all the saints, men and women alike. 
and and it it found literary expression in the stories of the Knights of the Round Table, and then later in um, such things as you know the Lone Ranger, and so on in in our culture, and in the Arthurian stories, it's especially the quest of the Holy Grail uh, that shows this pursuit of virtue because it's an allegory for precisely that. But this concept, this concept that life is a struggle with sin, and and a manly quest for virtue, has all but vanished from the landscape of popular spirituality. But as Vatican II reminds us, virtue remains the necessary condition for holiness to which we are all called. So the first thing you need to know is that there's a hierarchy of virtues. You know, with the theological virtues at the top, you have faith, hope, and charity, or love. And these are called the theological virtues because they refer directly to God and because they are infused into our soul by God at baptism, along with sanctifying grace. So the virtue of faith leads us to believe what God has revealed. The virtue of hope helps us to look to God for eternal salvation and for the means to, to gain it. And the virtue of charity primarily moves us to love God, which means to seek to please him by doing his holy will. Remember, Jesus said, he who has my commandments and obeys them is the one who loves me. Now, if you if you've ever seen the Lord of the Rings movies, you'll be familiar with the White Tree of Gondor. That's the symbol of Aragorn, right? Uh, and Tolkien chose the symbol uh, as to represent the, the kings of men uh, because in medieval symbolism, a living tree was considered a most appropriate uh, symbol for the theological virtues. So faith is the root and hope is the trunk and charity is the fruit. Now, of course, the root and the trunk are of no value unless they find completion in the fruit. And that's why St. Paul says, and now there remain, now meaning in this life, there remain faith, hope, and charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity, right? That's the fruit of, of the tree. And in Tolkien's version, uh, there are seven stars that represent the fruit of charity. And the reason there's seven is to represent the seven moral virtues that oppose the seven deadly sins. So moral virtues are, are so-called because they regulate our moral life in a way that's pleasing to God. And among them are the four cardinal virtues, prudence, temperance, justice, and fortitude. So prudence helps us to take the right means to a good end, especially to our, uh, our spiritual good and salvation. Temperance helps us to master our unruly appetites and our passions. Justice uh, helps us to give to each what he deserves, okay, to, to God worship, to our, spirit, our superiors, obedience, to our inferiors, rewards and and punishments, and to our neighbor, brotherly love. And finally, fortitude empowers us to do what's right and just in the face of difficulties or oppositions. And so they're called the cardinal virtues from the Latin cardo, which means hinge, because all the other moral virtues hinge on these four. And that includes the seven moral virtues directly opposed to the seven deadly sins. So humility for pride, uh, generosity for avarice, chastity for lust, meekness for anger, temperance for gluttony, and brotherly love, brotherly love for envy and zeal for sloth. Now, obviously, we could devote an entire show to any one of these, but I do want to take a moment to say a word about meekness, and I've done this many times, but it bears repeating. We tend to think of a meek man as a timid man, uh, a person that lets themselves get pushed around, who won't stand up for themselves, but that, that's not the virtue of meekness. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is the virtue opposed to the vice of anger, so it's about self-control and obedience to God's will. 
Proverbs 16.32 says, The patient man is better than the valiant, and he who rules his spirit than he who taketh cities. And history bears this out. Alexander the Great killed his only real friend in a fit of passion because although he conquered the world, he never conquered himself. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter draws his sword to, to defend our Lord, but Jesus tells him, put it away. He says, do you, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? And by the way, uh, there were 6,000 Roman soldiers to a legion, so 12 legions of angels comes up to 72,000 angels. You know, So if Jesus wanted to be delivered from his passion, he could have been. But then we would not have been redeemed. As Jesus reminds us in John's gospel, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own. You know, this is what he chose to do. So during his agony, our Lord took the sins of the whole world upon himself. And the scripture says that he broke out in a bloody sweat. Right? The, the intensity of, of that experience of his agony was so great that he breaks out in a bloody sweat. And why? He's contemplating the ingratitude of men. He's thinking about all of those souls that are going to be lost in spite of his sacrifice, in spite of his passion, his crucifixion. And he prayed to the Father in his sacred humanity, Father, <clears throat> if it be thy will, let this chalice pass from me. But thy will, not mine, be done. That is meekness. In a world uh, of constant temptation, especially from, you know, I mean, everybody's carrying a, a, a television that's connected to the, to the internet around in their pocket where you, you, can, you can access virtually any kind of, of uh, questionable or, or immoral thing. There's a constant temptation there and, and instant gratification. And so we need the, the virtues, especially the virtues of self-control, which are temperance and chastity and I think especially meekness so that we keep our heads and don't give in to anger. And we need these virtues of self-control more than ever before in our history. And that is no nonsense. All right. Um, I wanted to take just a moment before we uh, take our first break and remind you that uh, in a couple of weeks, on the 20th of June, we are going to have a virtual pilgrimage with Mr. Steve Ray. Steve's going to be coming to us via the um, miracle of modern technology and taking us on a virtual pilgrimage to the Holy Land. Now, that's going to be free on YouTube, but it's only going to be there live. So if you want uh, to make a donation of $25, you can get access to all of the video recordings and audio recordings uh, from this pilgrimage that you can you know, download and listen to at your, uh, at your convenience. And uh, all you have to do is go to the VMPR website to uh, register. And also, this coming Saturday, which is June the 13th, again, live on YouTube, we're going to have the Virgin Most Powerful 2020 Men's Conference with exclusive live presentations from Jesse Romero, Terry Barber, and Mr. Tim Gordon, the author of Rules for Retrogrades. So you can register to either for either one of these conferences by visiting vmpr.org or call our office at 877-526-2151. When we come back, more on what admonish the sinner really means.
Salve Virens. This is Father Ripker, superior of the Society of the Most Sorrowful Mother and spiritual director of Liber Christo. I would like to personally invite you to a gathering of fathers and sons, July 13th through the 17th, at the historic Boxar Ranch in Cora, Wyoming. Located in the Bridger Wilderness, the ranch offers a number of outdoor opportunities for rock climbing, canoeing, hiking, horseback riding, small arms, as well as black powder instruction, forge and anvil workshop, all with expert instructors, as well as conferences on the masculine role in the preservation of the Catholic faith, and evening fire pit theological discussions. For details, see Libra Cristo website, www.librecristo.org. That is www.libercristo.org. news today seems to be coming from everywhere and everyone. It's confusing at least and untrustworthy at the worst. Dr. Asetta is a faithful Catholic in the Kern County community. He is trustworthy, well-researched, and will only give expert opinion on matters in his own specialty. Catholic teaching at its entirety is of utmost importance to Dr. Asetta. Give Dr. Asetta a call for your obstetrics and gynecological needs at 661-695-6617. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. Welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic. We mentioned at the top of the program that back on the 2nd of June, that was last week, last Tuesday, I think, uh, Washington, D.C. Archbishop Wilton Gregory lashed out at the St. John Paul II National Shrine over a planned visit by the President of the United States. And as I suspect you know by now, Archbishop Gregory called President Trump's visit to the shrine reprehensible, that it was reprehensible that any Catholic organization would host this man in light of the, uh, the Black Lives Matter protests. Now, a spokesperson for the shrine responded and said, at the White House, and I quote, originally scheduled this as an event for the president to sign an executive order on international religious freedom. This was fitting, giving, given St. John Paul II was a tireless advocate of religious liberty throughout his pontificate. International religious freedom receives widespread bipartisan support, including unanimous passage of legislation in defense of persecuted Christians and religious minorities around the world. And they added that, quote, the shrine welcomes all people and to come and pray and learn about the legacy of John Paul II, and that presumably includes the President of the United States, who is, after all, the leader of the free world. Now, Archbishop Gregory um, has been taken to task by calling the shrine reprehensible um, by a number of commentators, because while he 
presumably intended to admonish the sinner, what he actually did was give a fine example of the words that Jesus addressed to religious hypocrites of his own day. When he said, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Uh, as one commentator said, you need virtue before you can virtue signal. Now, in all of this, I was reminded of an article from Monsignor Charles Pope called Admonish the Sinner, a Reflection on the First Spiritual Work of Mercy. And this is he did a series on the Corporal and Spiritual Works of Mercy back in 2015 on the Archdiocese of Washington blog. And so I have a link to this, or I will have a link to this in the in the show notes for the podcast if you want to go to his original article. I will be referring to it throughout. But according to, to Monsignor Pope, the word admonish comes to us again from the Latin, from the word monere, which means to warn or to advise or to alert, uh, as in to you know, let someone know about a threat or a danger. Therefore, to admonish is an act of love and concern because the purpose of admonishment is the good of the other person. So to admonish the sinner is not to attack or belittle or humiliate but rather to alert them of the danger of a sinful course of action. Therefore, uh, admonishing the sinner is rooted in love and not pride. And therefore, St. Thomas uh, puts fraternal correction amongst the acts of charity. Now, in our culture, sadly, uh, admonishing the sinner suffers from a double standard. Because as, as much virtue signaling as goes on, especially in, in social media, both philosophically and sociologically, so many people uh, have relegated morality to the realm of public opinion. So admonishing is seen by many as an attempt to, uh, by the admonisher to impose his or her values on the admonishee, or you know, some sort of unfair arbitrary judgment, uh, unless that admonishment, of course, is the politically correct one. So from a, from a psychological standpoint, we live in times of heightened sensitivity. I mean, can, you can see the examples, you know, when people take any kind of critique of their behavior as a personal attack because they can't distinguish between being people being concerned over their behavior and people disrespecting them personally. And that's, you know, this is entirely uh, bound up with the emergence of identity politics, which has done a lot to, you know, further blur those distinctions. And, you know, Monsignor Pope gives a number of uh, examples, like he says, to, to voice concerns about um, single mothers, right? And they say, well, that's, that's a personal attack. You're, you're offending the poor. You're offending uh, minorities. You're offending women generally. You know, never mind the fact that, I mean, there are real and serious social problems that stem from children not living at home with both their mom and their dad. But any critique of this, which is obviously problematic, is taken personally by very, very many. And the same is true uh, largely with abortion. You just ask Father Frank Pavone, I mean, a priest for life. Life. Anybody that's that's been working uh, uh, to raise awareness about abortion, they're routinely uh, attacked because it says that they are offending women or attacking women. And then we hardly need to describe the anger <laughs> or outrage that's generated when you try and admonish against the alphabet soup of sexual behavior and gender identity. You know, identity politics is so deep, uh, so deeply rooted in, in these behaviors. In some countries now, it is actually illegal to refer to a homosexual act as, as being sinful, let alone to admonish uh, those who engage in or, or approve of them. And this is 
you know, this is personal to me because there was a time, I mean, in my lifetime, I'm 60 years old, when I was a kid, sodomy and abortion were both illegal in the United States as they had been throughout the entire civilized world for a thousand years. But just, I mean, just a few decades of propaganda, these things that were universally considered criminal behavior are now championed as inalienable rights that may not be criticized, not even questioned, without swift and overwhelming reprisal. And these are only the, 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 the more obvious examples of a problem that's, that's very deeply rooted in our culture. You know, people don't like to be corrected, and I suppose they probably never have. But today, they, they take that correction as a, though we're a personal attack and not a concern. Uh, Dr. Robert Stackpole on the Divine Mercy website says, and I quote, the problem is that we live in a society dominated by people who have not made any real psychological or moral progress since they reached adolescence. Thus, they stumbled through life with an adolescent understanding of love. To be loved to them means to be affirmed in everything they do or want to do. But of course, you and I know that's not love. And when I was a boy, it was called being spoiled rotten. Hence the old axiom, spare the rod and spoil the child. People need discipline. They need to be taught discipline because of a little thing that we call concupiscence, which is, of course, the common human inclination to sin. Hence, Proverbs 4.13 says, hold fast to instruction, never let it go, keep it, for it is your life. And uh, the New American Bible, their translation of Proverbs 12.1 puts the consequence for ignoring this advice rather bluntly. It says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates reproof is stupid. Okay, (laughs) That's that's the no-nonsense translation of that particular verse. In any case, You know, believers are obliged by the spiritual works of mercy to admonish sinners and to accept admonishment ourselves because we too are sinners and we too live in a fallen world. And we must remember that that the goal of admonishing someone who's, you know, engaging in a sinful behavior is not to, to tell them how terrible they are. You know, correction without compassion is hardly you know, something you could call mercy or a work of mercy, you know, Archbishop Gregory, call your office. But neither is the goal just to win arguments or, or to feel morally superior. You know, that's hence the, the virtue signaling, for example, the goal is to win the sinner back from a destructive path. The goal is to announce the good news that, that forgiveness of sin is available to those who repent The goal, simply put, is salvation and to help people to salvation. Hence the Latin axiom, salus animatum suprema lex. The salvation of souls is the supreme law. To admonish the sinner is to call someone lovingly, someone who is in danger, and to draw them back from the edge of the abyss. This is to pull somebody off of the ledge. This is to, to, you know, uh, to keep somebody from running off, uh, running over a cliff. And also, admonishing the sinner isn't simply a, a good thing to do, you know, when you get around to it or, or if you have the time. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> if holiness is the essence of the lay vocation, 
then uh, admonishing the sinner is an essential work of grace and love, and it's not optional. And Monsignor Pope um, tells us, or reminds us, that not only is it not optional, but it is commanded. And he gives us several relevant passages from Scripture. From I mean, he, he has a list of ten. Many, many more could be included. But he gives us ten specific uh, passages from Scripture that show us that admonishing the sinner is not optional. Our Lord Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. And between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That's Matthew 18, 15 through 18. So Jesus instructs us to speak to a, a sinning brother or sister, right? If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. That's a command. You are, if somebody sins you, you are to summon them to repentance. And if they don't listen, then you need to take others who are trustworthy and they should also be summoned to the task, right? And this is assuming, of course, that, that this is a serious matter. And then finally, if that won't work, if you can't convince this person to come back to the straight and narrow, the church should be informed. And if the person won't listen to the church, then, according to our good Lord, he or she should be excommunicated. Uh, as he says, treated like a Gentile or a tax collector. So in serious matters, right, uh, um, in, in serious sins, excommunication uh, was considered a kind of medicine that informs the sinner of the gravity of his situation. It's like when John Paul II excommunicated Archbishop Lefebvre and his followers. He was trying to say, hey, this is serious. You need to rethink what you're doing. And similarly, when uh, Benedict XVI actually removed the excommunications, it was for the same reason, to, to you know, uh, uh, perform an act of mercy that would help them to realize their situation and come back into full communion with the church. Now, it's it's very sad that that's the only, um, you know, that's the only example, recent example I could come up with, because this medicine is seldom used today, even though Jesus Christ himself clearly prescribes it, I mean, at least in, in serious matters, that this is, uh, that this is not only uh, acceptable, but it is the right way to proceed. Which brings us to the, the virtue of justice. There's a lot of talk about justice today, but justice is not mercy. Justice is giving people what they deserve. And mercy is giving people what they do not deserve. But in justice, we have obligations. We have obligations to God and to our fellow men, both our superiors, our inferiors, and, and our peers, that we owe them these things in justice. And when, uh, you know, when superiors fail to uh, give rewards and punishments, consummate to the behavior of their uh, subordinates, that's a failure of justice. All right, we're going to come back talk uh, more about admonishing the sinner and five ways to be holy when we come back after this.
This is Father Ripperger, Superior of the Society of the Most Sorrowful Mother and Spiritual Director of Libra Cristo. I would like to take this opportunity to invite you to the second annual Libra Cristo Conference held July 27th through the 29th. This year's conference will be online due to the COVID-19 outbreak. The format for this year's conference will be as follows. A general morning session followed by afternoon tracks specific for priests, professionals, and laity. The priest track in the afternoon will be for priests only, and the other tracks will be broadcast live, one after the other, so participants can view multiple tracks. At this year's conference, we will also introduce the new Libra Cristo review panel. In developing our mission to serve those in spiritual need by determining the presence of extraordinary diabolic activity and developing Catholic methodologies to address that activity, Libra Cristo has developed a medical and psychological review panel that would be available to evaluate and determine possible natural causes of presenting symptoms all through Thomistic Lens. I hope you're able to join us for this second annual Libra Cristo conference. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. All right. Welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic, your internet home for Keep It Simple Catholicism. I'm Matthew Arnold for Virgin Most Powerful Radio, talking about admonishing the sinner and what that really means. And once again, referring to an April 2015 article by Monsignor Charles Pope from the Archdiocese of Washington blog called Admonish the Sinner, a Reflection on the First Spiritual Work of Mercy. And I'll have a link in the show notes for the podcast uh, if you would like to read that for yourself. Also, um, if you're interested in looking at the videos of this program, they get posted a day or two after the live broadcast on my YouTube channel, No Nonsense Catholic, and also on the No Nonsense Catholic playlist at uh, the Virgin Most Powerful Radio YouTube channel. So a couple of different ways to access the show if you want to look at the video and not have to scroll all the way through that day's programs. Okay, looking at some of the verses in the Bible, relevant passages from Scripture, regarding admonishing the sinner and our obligation to do that. Uh, Next up is from St. Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 6. It says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any sin, you who are spiritual should recall him in a spirit of gentleness. Look to yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
So you notice that we're being called to recognize when somebody's been overtaken by sin and to offer correction. And you'll, you'll also note that the Bible tells us to do this in a spirit of gentleness so that we do not sin in the process of, of correcting the sinner. So if we are prideful or needlessly harsh in our words of correction, well, that's no way to correct. Clarity with charity, that's the motto here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. But although clarity with charity is the way, you have to remember that the price of charity is the risk of insult. Because most people don't like to be corrected. So you're also going to need patience. As St. Paul says in, in the verse, we have to bear the burden of one another's sins. And we do that in two ways. First, by accepting the fact that others have imperfections and faults. And second, that we bear an obligation to help them recognize their sins all right, and to repent of them. Uh, let's see, number three, it comes from James chapter 5. My brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, there's been a lot of discussion about this verse over the years, as you might imagine, because the text is kind of ambiguous regarding whose soul is actually saved, whether it's uh, the one who's uh, being corrected or the one who's doing the correcting. But actually, I think that's good because it seems that both the corrected and the corrector benefit. Number four, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall in any case rebuke your neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. That's the Old Testament. That's Leviticus 19.17. What does it mean? It means hate the sin but not the sinner. And it also means that to refuse to correct a sinner is itself a form of hatred. See, it, it, it's a love of neighbor that makes us desire that they not be overtaken by sin. Now, somebody asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment, right? And he responded with, uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 6, you should love the Lord your God with your whole mind, heart, soul, and strength. And that's the first commandment. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so to admonish the sinner is actually uh, one of the ways that we fulfill that great commandment. Because love of God and neighbor, I mean, it's clearly taught in the Old Testament because Jesus is quoting directly from the book of Deuteronomy. But then he tells us the parable of the Good Samaritan. <clears throat> Pardon me. And he gives us in that parable a new wrinkle to understanding this commandment, namely that everybody's our neighbor. All right, number five, if anyone refuses to obey what we say in this letter, now this is Paul writing to this, the Thessalonians from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 14. If anyone refuses to obey what we say in this letter, note that man and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not look on him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So you notice again, even this, this medicine of rebuke to the point of refusing fellowship is commanded in serious matters. But you'll also see that even a sinner doesn't lose his dignity. Right? You have no nothing to do with him that he'd be ashamed, but do not look on him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. To admonish means to warn. Okay. In that same chapter, in uh, 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 6, we read, we instruct you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
to shun any brother who walks in a disorderly way and not according to the tradition they received from us. So once again, you see that the litmus test for our behavior is the teaching of Christ as it has been communicated to us through his church. That's why you can't be a butt Catholic, as, as Bishop Sheen used to say. I, you know, I talk about traditional Catholics being those who can, you know, say the act of faith and mean it. And I, and I because I don't want to get caught up in the, uh, you know, new mass versus old mass controversy in this regard, uh, um, I, I am leaning towards the um, definition, no-nonsense Catholic, right, to hold the Catholic faith whole and entire. But as you know, there are many many people who still consider them Catholics who will say, well, I'm Catholic, but I'm Catholic, but I don't agree with this or that. Well, that's not the same as what our uh, St. Paul is telling us about here, that we should shun those who do not walk according to the tradition they have received. All right. Number seven comes from Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter three, verse 16. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teach and admire Admonish one another in all wisdom. Again, to uh, admonish means to alert or to warn. So if the word of Christ uh, dwells richly within us, as he says, then we're going to warn each other when that's necessary. We're going to alert each other about the danger uh, when it creeps into our behavior. You know, uh, one of the texts, number eight on Monsignor Pope's list, is a text that I think most all Christians, Catholic and otherwise, are familiar with, and that's 2 Timothy 3.16. That's that verse that says, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. What you notice when you look at that list, that reproof and correction are necessary to equip us for, as St. Paul says, every good work. And uh, number nine, it says, we exhort you and this is from 1 Thessalonians 5.14, we exhort you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So here we have a description of fraternal correction, admonishing, encouraging, helping. And St. Paul tells us to be patient when we engage these works or we're not going to get very far. Now, the 10th the passage on his list is rather long comes from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verses 1 and following. But I think you'll understand why Monsignor Pope quotes it at length. And I'm going to share it with you here. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, and of a kind that is not found even among the pagans. For a man is living with his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment in the name of the Lord Jesus on the man who has done such a thing. When you were assembled and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you are really are unleavened. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral men, not at all meaning the immoral of this 
world are the greedy or, and robbers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But rather, I wrote to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or robber, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Drive out the wicked person from among you. That's pretty heavy-handed, but remember, this is not me talking. This is the Holy Spirit speaking through St. Paul, commanding that we judge, quote-unquote, judge the evildoer, and that is amongst the brethren. Now, in this case, uh, in, in the uh, First Corinthians, this is a very serious matter. He's talking about incest. But once again, the text says that he should, that this person who's guilty should be excommunicated. Uh, St. Paul says, handed over to Satan, right? That, that means to, to be removed from the community. But even here, that purpose is medicinal because it's clearly hoped that this excommunication, the, the handing over to Satan, quote unquote, is going to cause the, the, the sinner to come to his senses and repent before the day of judgment. And it's also medicinal in the sense that the community is protected from bad example and from scandal and from the presence of evil. And that text also requires that we be able to size people up. You know, bad companions can constitute the near occasion of sin. Uh, immoral and unrepentant people can be dangerous or spiritually harmful for us to associate with. You know, uh, Thomas Aquinas says that, that the, the, the knowing whom to avoid is a great uh, way of saving your soul. Immoral and unrepentant people, dangerous, spiritually harmful for us to associate with. And so St. Paul instructs us to discern this. And not keep friendly company with people that are going to mislead us or tempt us into sin. And that requires a judgment on our part. I'm sorry, some judgments are required of us. And that's why we need the virtue of prudence to help us to, to take the best way to a good end. All right. Going to talk more about this when we return. And then also going to be uh, talking about uh, five ways uh, to holiness to grow in holiness from a, a blessed in the church who was raised to the altars by St. John Paul II, who was, in fact, a little girl. So we're going to all of that and more when we come back. Lots more no-nonsense Catholic after this. This is Father Ripperger, superior to the Society of the Most Sorrowful Mother. I would like to take this opportunity to invite priests to attend a comprehensive practical training program for those seeking practical and functional formation in the ministry of healing, deliverance, and exorcism according to Catholic principles and norms. This program will be offered on a very limited basis in 2020 and consists of two component programs. There is the academic program, which consists of five days, Monday through Friday, of instruction designed to equip the priest with the knowledge necessary to address cases of suspected extraordinary diabolic activity in a methodical and systematic way in order to properly distinguish and diagnose not only the presence or absence of various diabolic activities as well as classify the severity but also to determine appropriate responses and treatments. Topics include, among others, the six forms of diabolic influence, 
a systematic presentation of Title 12 of the 1962 Rituale Romanum, which includes the rite of solemn exorcism, psychological and demonic interface, and how to distinguish them, as well as diocesan protocols and procedures. The second component is a practicum program consists of five days, Monday through Friday, of attending working sessions with an exorcist in which the priest will assist and observe the exorcists in actual sessions. Through this practicum program, the priest will participate firsthand in the ministry of exorcism as well as aspects of minor exorcism. For those priests who need the training and are being requested to work in the area of exorcism by their bishop, I hope they are able to join us. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. Welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic. I'm Matthew Arnold for Virgin Most Powerful Radio. So uh, just to wrap up on our discussion of admonishing the sinner, You know, people that uh, are going to admonish the sinner, which we are required to do, it does require a judgment on our part. Because, and, you know, some people might say, well, didn't Jesus say, judge not, lest you be judged? Well, he's talking about judging the state of someone's soul, and we're not to do that. We use the virtue of prudence to judge someone's behavior, and then to warn them if you see that that behavior is dangerous. I mean, when senior pope, says in the article, how can we say we love others if we see them running toward the edge of a moral and eschatological cliff? In other words, something that's, that's not just dangerous, uh, dangerously immoral, but might rob them of their eternal salvation. It says, how can we see that and fail to cry out in warning? And yet we do. We do fail to cry out that warning. And why? I, you know, I suspect mostly it's because, um, well, it's rooted in fear. Um, partially because that it's going to make things unpleasant. You know, uh, you don't want to make everybody miserable when you get together with your fallen away family at uh, Thanksgiving, you know, or whatever, you know, and that's a certain kind of fear. Or uh, maybe we're, we're afraid of the backlash that's going to come if we warn people that don't want to be warned, right? That we're going to be uh, rejected by our friends on social media or whatever. But if we yield to that, then what we're showing, really, what, what we should realize is that we obviously love ourselves perhaps a little too much, that we love ourselves and we're more concerned with ourselves than we are uh, with loving God and with loving our neighbor. You know, I, re, in reality, I mean, I can add, and this much more today, just five short years a- after this article by Monsignor was written, even though these are, you know, uh, uh, perennial teachings that, that don't ever, you know, they have, no expiration date, I can say that in the heightened climate of today's society, admonishing the sinner, you know, is going to entail or possibly entail more serious consequences, persecution, 
maybe even legal repercussions. So again, you have to, you have to be prudent. But consider this, that, that I suspect that like me, you can be thankful for people in your life who were willing to admonish you when you needed it. And I pray that the Lord grant us the courage and the humility to, to accept admonishment ourselves, even when it's not done in perfect charity, and also especially that he would grant us the courage and humility to proceed when we feel the need to correct others. And first, to be sure to remove the plank from our own eye. Okay, um, to wrap up today's program, I ran across this article, which is actually um, was posted in November 3rd of last year. It's written by Bridget Costello, and the headline was A Little Girl's Five Ordinary But Extraordinary Ways to Grow in Holiness. And again, I'll have the, uh, the uh, link there in the podcast if you want to go back and look at the original article. But uh, within this, she, she talks about the fact that sanctity is a serious business. We started the program today talking about how holiness is not an option in the life of the Catholic. Uh, from our Lord Jesus himself to the, the uh, spirituality of the Middle Ages to the Second Vatican Council, we have been exhorted to uh, you know, this universal call to holiness. And, and I would agree. I think that sanctity uh, is a serious business, the most serious there is. But, you know, the point of this program is to point out whenever possible that, uh, you know, serious doesn't necessarily mean complicated. You know, because there are those, even in the church, who just love to overcomplicate things. And that can be said for holiness, among other topics. But for one thing, it's entirely possible, as, as Bridget Costello points out, to be religious and not be holy. You can go to Mass every Sunday, and you can pray your rosary and your other popular devotions, and you, and you can sh share prayers on social media, but that doesn't necessarily make you holy. You know, somebody could do all of that and still treat their neighbors poorly or, you know, live a sinful life. And don't get me wrong, there's two sides to this coin, because although you can be religious and not be holy, I think it's entirely different to, to try and be holy without being religious. And I'll offer the lives of the saints as exhibit A. But the word holiness, um, really, at its root, it means set apart. As our Lord said, that, that we should be in the world, but not of the world. Being holy is about letting God so completely permeate your life that, that you no longer belong to yourself, but to him. That your, your question is always going to be, you know, not my will, but thine be done. And as an example of this kind of love and holiness, uh, Ms. Costello wrote her article about a little girl and her five simple lessons about growing in personal holiness. And the little girl in question is Laura Vicuña, and she was born in the, uh, in the 19th century, the end of the 19th century, 1891, in Santiago, Chile. And then just a few years after her birth, she lost her father. And then her mother whose name was Mercedes, was forced by circumstances to move to Argentina to escape starvation. When Laura was nine years old, she and her sister Julia were enrolled in a Salesian school with the, the Salesian nuns. And, and her mother, Mercedes, started working for a fellow named Manuel Mora. Uh, she worked as his maid and as his companion in return for room board and school tuition for her two daughters. 
And uh, Manuel Mora took advantage of this situation. He was a wicked man who regularly abused Mercedes. And apparently once while on a school break, he even beat Laura and tried to make improper advances towards her. And remember, she was just a little girl. So he's really piling one sin upon another. Now, when she resisted and ran away, he withheld her tuition. Fortunately, uh, they were going to the Salesian school. So when the sisters found out you know, about the situation, they gave Laura and her sister a scholarship. And from then on, as the article says, they were safe in Mary's house. But Mercedes was not. Uh, so when little Laura became ill, she offered her suffering for her mother's conversion. And when she was near death, Laura and her sister Julia called on Mercedes. And they, it says that, you know, they made, it made Laura very happy to see her mother, but even happier that during the visit, Mercedes went to confession and promised to give her life back to our Lord. Laura was overwhelmed with joy at the news, and she exclaimed, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Mary. Now I can die happy. And so she did, on January 22nd, 1904, at the tender age of 12 years old. Now, little Laura is now Blessed Laura Vicuña. And what five lessons in holiness can little Laura Vicuña teach us? Well, Bridget Costello offers these Five simple but serious quotes from Laura's brief life. Number one, to do the will of God. This is my favorite prayer. Well, that's what we've been talking about for the whole hour. With these little few words, the little blessed reminds us to pray for God's will in our life and to pray for the courage to follow his will. He knows you. Uh, God loves you. God loves you more than he loves yourself. You love yourself, I should say, and he can and will uh, make something beautiful from you if you will let him. Remember, you know, it's about loving God. And as our Lord himself says, uh, if th those who keep my commandments, that is who loves me. Crazy. So there's, there's the beginning of the will of God in your life. Number two, she said, be constant in virtue. Now, to be constant uh, in virtue is to, is to practice holy habits and especially the virtue of purity. And again, something that, that speaks directly to us today, to, that we need to pray for the grace of self-control. We need to take custody of our senses. We shouldn't speak about or look at or listen to anything that's going to compromise uh, our virtue, and especially the virtue of purity. Like Terry and Jesse say, do your best to stay in a state of grace and go to confession often. Uh, it's been challenging in these last uh, weeks and months, but it remains a constant of the spiritual life that if you have the misfortune to fall into a mortal sin, you need to make an immediate act of perfect contrition and get to confession at your earliest opportunity. Number three on her list is, Oh Jesus, I offer myself to you and I want to be all yours. It's the prayer of a little girl who was uh, known for receiving communion as often as she was able and for frequently visiting the Blessed Sacrament. And here she reminds us of the very basic truth that if we want to be holy, we need to stay close to Jesus. And in this life, staying close to Jesus um, is about staying close to the Blessed Sacrament, to him truly present in the Eucharist. 
Number four is related. She prayed, oh, Mary, give me your hand and take mine. I love that. The Blessed Virgin Mary was our good Lord's parting gift of love to us on Calvary. When he said to St. John, who represented us all at the foot of the cross, behold your mother. And Laura was close to Our Lady, and Our Lady was close to Laura, and you and I should also strive to stay close to Our Blessed Mother because we know that she always brings us closer to her divine Son. And lastly, she says, suffer silently and smile always. This is the beautiful little girl's way of saying what St. Paul said, rejoice always. Again, I say, rejoice. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. You stay cheerful even in the midst of your suffering, right? As Like uh, your mom probably told you, offer it up. <laughs> and as my, my brother always says, keep smiling. And put together, that is the path of holiness. To stay cheerful even in the midst of suffering and keep smiling. That's what Laura did. And she's been raised to the altars of the church. Holiness really is that simple. Pope St. John Paul II beatified Laura of Cunha in St. Peter's Square on September 3rd, 1988. And did he, did he wear white in honor of her purity? This 12-year-old girl? No. He wore red because to offer, uh, you know, uh, to honor Laura as a martyr because she offered her life for her mother's conversion, her life for her mother's soul. And so Blessed Laura Vicuña is a patroness of purity and abuse victims and the victims of rape and incest and the loss of parents. So yes, holiness is that simple. But as we so often say here on No Nonsense Catholicism, or No Nonsense Catholic, simple doesn't mean easy. To do the will of God and not our own will. To constantly practice virtue and to intentionally reject vice. To offer ourselves entirely, mind, heart, soul, and body to Christ and to his blessed mother to be willing to pick up our cross and suffer willingly with a smile on our face because we count it an honor to suffer for Christ. Simple yes, but not easy. And that's no nonsense. I'm Matthew Arnold for Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Look forward to seeing you again next week, same time, or whenever you listen. In the 1990s, I lived and worked in Hollywood. But when my wife Betty's mom took ill, we relocated to Orange County. And it was during this time in our lives that I converted to Catholicism. Once my eyes were opened to the truth, I couldn't learn enough about the faith. But I had less free time than ever, especially with a long commute. That's when I discovered the real value of Catholic audio. Listening to cassette tapes transformed my daily commute into a miniature retreat. And that's the beauty of Virgin Most Powerful Radio today. Since the podcasts are archived, you can listen anytime on our smartphone app. I know how listening to Catholic audio can bring you closer to Christ and His Church, so I encourage you to visit the App Store or go to vmpr.org and download the app today. It just might change your life. I'm Matthew Arnold for Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.